Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the PD Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is a conversation with a former classmate of mine and current Dublin footballer and writer of the best-selling book, Dark Blue, Shane Carty. So myself and Shane obviously go back a little bit, being in college together. So although this conversation went pretty deep, we also tried to keep it fairly lighthearted as well. We touched on a number of topics. We initially started the conversation talking about his beloved Manchester United and the recent move of Cristiano Ronaldo because we just had to talk about it. It was so fresh in our minds at the time. And then we moved on to chat about his recent book, Dark Blue, and the release of that and what's happened since then and how his life has changed because of that, as well as touching on talking about Dublin football and their plans for next year, as well as the upcoming Dublin Club Championship, which he'll be taking part in with Nave Marnog. We go into a lot of depth on Shane's struggles with depression, and the conversation gets pretty intense at times, but again, we try to make it fun, and we do hope that somebody will gain something from it. So I'm really, really excited about this episode. I hope you all enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it, and send it. And this time, that is even more poignant as sending it to someone will, as Shane says himself, hopefully, maybe save a life. So thanks very much for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is sponsored by Coach Sam Portland, also known as Coach Portland on Instagram. Sam has devised a mentorship program for strengthening conditioning coaches that gives them the tools to take control of and change their lives. I can testify to this given that I participated in the program earlier this year. Sam has coached international rugby players, Olympic athletes and elite level American footballers. Using all of his experience, the mentorship program puts you, the coach, first, giving you systems of application from speed and change of direction to the minute detail of speed coaching, program development, injury rehab and much, much more. It will help you distill your current knowledge and allow you to beat the battle of information overload the industry currently faces. But what separates this program from the rest is the personal development aspect. 50% of the program is dedicated to you getting to know yourself further as a coach. I can safely say that this is the aspect that makes the most meaningful and significant change, helping you to find the right balance between elite level coaching and living a happy and purposeful life. If you're interested and want to learn more for PD Performance Podcast listeners only, Sam is offering five 60-minute coach audit calls valued at £150 for free. To register for this unique opportunity, send Sam an email with the subject line PD Performance Mentorship to sam at coachportland.co.uk. Only five audit calls up for grabs, so get after it quick. Now, on to the podcast. Shane Carty, what's the story? How are we getting on? Good. good. Who'd have thought it? I know, yeah, cheers to a golf ball search. I know, <laughs> I know. And I met my Nile Moyna there. Um, so I did uh, last weekend. Did you? Yeah, and Where I was, was just chatting. He was uh, covering for, or he was helping out with Vincent's. Right, and I'm yeah, involved yeah. with Thomas Davis. So I just was chatting away from him. Not a clue who I was, <laughs> but it, who'd have thought that the two lads that missed his cardiac physiology exam <laughs> would be sitting here talking rig? Do you remember we were in the in the room downstairs oh, doing it? Yeah, just yeah, the dodgy old exam. That wasn't really an exam, was it? Yeah, well, look, we did our best. We got through it anyway. That's the main thing. We both got through it. So we were just talking off air there, and we said we'd get stuck into it straight away about what's going on with Cristiano Ronaldo. 
and United because you're obviously huge I'm United fan. Yeah, so yeah. what is going on? That's a big question. I don't know. Like it's once once he doesn't go to I don't care where he goes once he doesn't go to City. That'd be some kick in the teeth, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Like as in the status of as an iconic figure of Manchester United yeah. would be just completely diminished. And he spoke to well, if he did speak to Alex Ferguson as well, I'm sure Ferguson told him that it they said, but she don't know what to believe, like yeah, in all yeah, these yeah. things. But yeah. they said that they that they were talking today or yesterday, and then like you'd hardly expect that Fergie be happy of him going city, like no. and he'd tell him like what the fans would think of him like you know yeah did you see that Ferguson documentary actually brilliant Absolutely unreal brilliant. yeah yeah it was, it was up there that and um, what else did I watch there as in recently I watched actually The Last Dance for about the sixth time there yeah <laughs> like, I watched it three <laughs> times as well I can't stop I'm going to watch it again I know I'm going to watch it it's unreal like it's, it's yeah, just yeah. but the two to contrast the two or compare the two like it's just their mentalities from mm. Ferguson and from Jordan like Ferguson kind of came across a little bit more human in it. Like he's not just yeah. cracking the whip all the time. Whereas Jordan in the other side, it's it does, it shows that like he's been through some stuff, but like yeah. at the same time, if you step out loud and practice, as they say there, he's like he's ripping you. Like, straight away, like but we all know lads like that in training as well, like oh, yeah, the senior yeah. figures, like, and that's why they're there for a long time. But anyway, United this year. <laughs> I'm a Leeds fan, so we played you first day of the season and it was an absolute joke. Yeah. Um, I'd be happy for us to stay up, to be honest, but I was speaking to another Leeds fan today and he said it's a bit defeatist, isn't it? I, 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 I love watching Leeds, and I'll, I'll say it on the record here, as in like, if I want to support you, I don't. Yeah, I yeah. Leeds. Yeah. I love watching Everybody Leeds. says that, but like you'd want, you want to get the results as well, I suppose. But they do play great football. It's yeah. just if they're able to sustain it because like against the likes of United, who have these it's bad, it's depths. It's a bad matchup. But the depth in the United squad, like there's no depth in Leeds squad. And if you get Ronaldo as well now, <laughs> the depth up front is going to be insane. Ronaldo, Cavani, Rashford, Sancho. Greenwood. Greenwood. I'm probably missing out. Yeah, we're, we're probably missing lads as Actually, well. Yeah. yeah, like insane. That's like frightening, yeah. So what is going to be, like I was watching a good bit on um, Soccer Saturday or yeah, the Monday yeah, Night yeah. Football and they're talking about and Cara and Neville going at each other, and Carragher says like you know you can't be can't be happy with uh, top four. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're brilliant. Like and then similarly, like Neville is saying that you know they're going to finish probably in third, yeah. and uh, and Liverpool beneath them, and then Cara saying Liverpool third. I, I think as in when I seen the signings from Chelsea, even last year from Chelsea coming through, obviously winning Champions League as they did, and then signing Lukaku as in because I I think as well like as in Signing Lukaku for United or Liverpool, it just wouldn't work because his yeah. system of players signing yeah, players yeah. doesn't suit them. Suits Chelsea down to the ground, and that's just going to be fried. As in, I, I think Chelsea were were moving really, really well. Obviously, under yeah. Tuchel at the end of last year, and then he's obviously had a full pre, well, a relatively full pre-season, yeah. and then with Lukaku in there, I saw I only saw the highlights of that game, but he was unbelievable. Like outrageous. Yeah. yeah, you couldn't Absolutely. defend him like because no. he's just bullying everybody, like bullying grown men. So it's going to be an interesting one. But anyway, aside from United, <laughs> what's going on today? You're training the season, are you? Training the season, yeah. So I took took the last two two ish weeks off from oh, obviously nice. the All Ireland semi final disappointment, uh, as yeah. it were. You, you were quick to to let me know, me know, and I thought I was cursed and you should have phoned. But look, it, it, it was what it was, and difficult as it was, it, it's football. It's one of those things, and yeah. so I've taken the last kind of two, I say two weeks off. I've just done a couple of cycles, a bit of gym work and bits and pieces like that, but back in the pitch tonight then. 
And you're doing club training tonight. Club training, right? we're two weeks out from club championship then. So it's kind of like a, a round robin type thing of three games, top two going through that type of thing. Who do you have first? We have uh, Peregrines. Peregrines first, St. Moore's and then Kula. There's no easy games in Dublin no, anyway. No, you, you never, you never, and to be fair, as in like, especially come club championship, as in like, it's very, very easy in the summer. As in, you, you probably see yourself right around the, the county as well. The lads who are coming obviously back in from in the county setup are going to make those teams an awful lot stronger. You see the likes of Ballymonas and they have, I think, eight, nine lads. We have them first. Thomas Davis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the best of luck. Yeah, yeah Friday, uh, Friday, two weeks. So, like, but it, it's going to be an interesting one this year having. Like obviously Dublin not winning it, yeah, and everybody coming back in. So now I'd imagine obviously club is huge, like, and you want to win everything with yeah, your club. Yeah, but yeah. I'd say even more so now because they haven't won the yeah, All Ireland. So they're like, well, I'm making something of this year. Like, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit alien for the lads. And to be fair, as in like, kind of contrasting it for me, as in like, I'd been out of set for the last couple yeah. of years, in and out. Then prior to that, and then in kind of in early earlier years, so I was kind of a. Big foothold for me to get in, and then it was the unknown. Then, of of course, then we're out of a semi final. Like, what kind of happens? And yeah. you have lads that like to say, even Brian Fenton there lost his first championship game in six years. Like, I said, that's crazy. You, you know, it's yeah, it, it, it's strange, and it's strange for the, the lads who have been consistently there. Like, but yeah, now, now we're kind of chomping at the bit, especially for our club team. A big thing for us that we said at the start of the year as all club teams with great intentions at the yeah. start of the year would set out as in we, we want to win the, the, the B Championship so we'll kind of see where we go from there like. Isn't it an interesting one as well though that like you just mentioned Brian Fenton there but there's tons of other lads there that yeah. haven't got used to losing games mm-hmm. Yeah, like I know the Dublin Championship is so competitive is nearly a new winner every year but every year, the same yeah. teams get up into the into the final stage but at inter-county level like they just like dealing with that loss is going to be a massive thing and how they're going to come back. And I'm sure the language in there is like next year, like we are coming back and we're chomping at the bit and we're ready to go and show yeah. what we're really made of. Like, yeah, I, I think even without kind of having to say that, it, I, I think it's a, it's a given that like hopefully again, I'll, I'll be involved kind of next year and, and everyone kind of pushes on a couple of new faces and, and whatever else and kind of a, a fresher start with a, a longer season because obviously the last yeah. kind of two seasons have been condensed to, to what it was for, for everything kind of going on so I would say as in we haven't had the conversation and I don't even think it, it would need to be a conversation of course it's gonna yeah. hurt for quite, quite some time but then obviously fire in the belly and you can even see the likes of I think 20 am I right in 2014 was when we obviously lost to Donegal and then see what happened from there now of course you, you love oh, I'm again. just saying I'm hoping that you doesn't know, happen again like you like, got a massive look, run yeah again. look you, you take learnings from it you take learnings from yeah, it exactly. of course like as in there's a slight bit of transition obviously with, with Jim kind of going two years ago now and Desi kind of come back in and mm. or coming in and, and then having the kind of new lads up and a couple of lads kind of retiring and moving on and whatever else so no, it, it's going to be interesting and it's going to be as I said it's going to be an awful lot better kind of next year with the longevity of a, of a season at least to look forward to just battered, I'd say, bodies in bits, like from just like the whole, like you're saying, two seasons essentially in what would have been a season and a half. Like, yeah, they tried yeah, to condense yeah. it, and like the preseason build up just wasn't what it usually would be. No, it's just no. like whole hogs straight in, like, and if you don't manage the load well, then you're probably you're getting injured and you're, you're yeah. out. Like, you and I, that, that was actually a massive thing, even touching on the whole, whole kind of injury points and. 
that kind of realm of kind of injury prevention and different bits and pieces. That was a, a big Achilles heel for me over the last number of years and even prior to that with, you know, soft tissue injuries and bits and pieces. Of course, if, you, if you're out for a couple of weeks, you go back into the fold, you're behind it, like as in you're well behind it, don't care who you are, you're well behind it, you miss a couple of weeks, even longer than that, forget it. Do, do you know what I'm going to The big thing for me this year was to, to one, obviously get my foot in the door, which I managed to do, thankfully, and then two, make an impression, and then three, stay injury-free. And it was like the likes of that, so I put plans into place in terms of morning sea swim. So five times a week, Monday to Friday, five o'clock in the morning, uh, go and see them see those type of things. That yeah. I, not that I wouldn't have done or neglected, but I didn't heed kind of much attention to it. You're, you're young, you think. Oh, you weren't as consistent, plan. maybe. I wasn't consistent. Yeah. And, and I wasn't kind of, I was just thinking, okay, I'm going out, why am I getting so much injuries? But I didn't think of the other side of yeah. kind of sleep, nutrition, rest, all that yeah. sort of stuff, which was obviously, again, touch wood, hopefully it will continue on kind of into club championship and beyond that as well. We're both getting on, like. Start I'm, looking after the body, I'm like feel, I'm feeling old with 26. And you're 20. getting too large as well. That's what the soft tissue injuries are good. You're put, putting on the mask. Like, yeah, I hope it's mask, not fat. <laughs> yeah. She's getting large. I get that. Really <laughs> anyway, but yeah, then the other side of that is you're probably having you like you're implementing those kind of recovery habits as well for the noggin as well and for up there time, yeah. as well because yeah. like if you're stressed and you're not doing well up in upstairs like then you're going to get injured or you're more likely to get yeah. injured anyway so it's just about doing the things that you know sets both your body and your mind right and yeah. treating them kind of like i'm always saying that's my mates as well and they're like you go up at five o'clock in the morning you're lunatic and i was like i know i'm a lunatic like as in you know I've, I've been labeled quite, quite some time ago yeah, you know? yeah. and i mean it in a nice possible way but the likes of that if you could bottle up that feeling after a sea swim like as in that would be the cure for absolutely everything you just feel the walk out contrast to walk walk back in yeah. it's just like it's unbelievable like as in i love it and even there this morning kind of even with the, with the sea like the the sunrise and different bits and pieces like that and like the friday kind of buzz you've got more people there and just everyone's there for the same kind of reason although everyone's living different lives they're all there for that kind of as you say that kind of of course kind of physical recovery but then the headspace that you get from it like that's community as well though it's a community the sea swimmers and the i, I shamelessly got a dry robe and whatever else uh, I, said, I, said, I said i'd though. never get one but yeah i've joined that uh, sea swimmers. if you're if you're going regularly though it's probably a good investment to have that oh, yeah, 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 back. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. They, i tried the morning sunrise swim like twice this summer but it just it started going too early and as you said like friends calling you a lunatic same with me if i don't get to bed by at least half 10 the next day i'm a demon like so <laughs> an, an old man like so like getting up then uh, to go at five o'clock yeah. And obviously, I'm in the middle of the city here, like as yeah, well. So yeah, I have yeah. to go out to it. So like, it just, it wasn't feasible. It was good. The feeling you get immediately afterwards, but then I hit like a midday slump where I'm getting cranky. And yeah, Alex, yeah. who I live with, is like, grow up, will you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's the way you deal with it for sure. And then in terms of like Dublin, so you got the call to come into the league first, was it? Yeah. So league first. So it was basically my kind of transition or how I got my foot in the door was I was involved in some capacity last year it'd been 2020 season yeah. um in what was called the development team and we basically had games against the lads who didn't get any game time in the championship game and that was my kind of platform to basically go I, i'm ready here i'm ready to go like yeah and um, so i i was lucky enough i managed to impress somewhat for him to go for an have a look at you at the start of this league being 2021 and see how you go from there so 
And that was basically the transition from development team into the 2021 league season and impressed enough to warrant a championship squad place. Again, I'm not particularly happy with where it went personally for me and of course collectively, of course, in the end. But I think that just all adds into kind of me wanting to develop individually, of course, then collectively we need to develop as well. But as in like, I look at it as a contrast of, I wasn't involved a couple of years ago, foot's back in the door now. I've got that kind of championship kind of feeling again amongst the squad and of course I want to kick on as I'm like no one just wants to be part of it you want to be yeah. in, in, in the epicenter of it so it's an interesting one because like obviously it's a team sport and it's all team first but there's an individual element to every team Massive. and there's yeah. you want to put your best foot forward and play the best that you can be and be, be in that key role that you know you have the potential to be in I suppose yeah. so yeah. it's interesting for managers then having to manage that like yeah. because like you have a certain number of, say, players that are there for so long and they're in the key roles. And then you have these lads like yourself chomping at the bit to either get in there or for yourself, get back in there and get back into that role. So it's about giving you enough and letting you know that you you have as much a chance to get in there if you put your best Mm -hmm. foot forward as the rest of them. And then the other thing is that we were talking about there is in terms of just staying injury free, they say like the best ability is availability. Yeah. So if you miss... Two or three weeks, especially the way this the structure of the season's gone now. Yeah. You'd be yeah. forgotten about like yeah, big time. Yeah. And, and that, that that's even the thing in terms of like competitive kind of I would say the competitive edge within the dumb teams of since kind of the successful kind of last number, six, seven years, whatever it may be. Was there was there was 30 lads there who could fully start. Yeah. As in like and, and that was that was the beauty of it in terms of it was obviously a headache in, in one form, but it then brought kind of competitive edge to me against you who's gonna who's gonna come out the better end of it and then if I'm pushing you you know you're gonna come out with better players so it wasn't like of course that individual aspect I'd love to get ahead of you but I know I'm gonna do everything to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and that just raises standards as in like standards amongst the kind of collective then automatically raise because you're not sitting on your laurels going if if I don't perform here as in like does someone gonna come off and play equally as good as me so that, that's I, I guess the, the there's no secret to the success that Dublin has, has had obviously we've been lucky enough to have such a depth and talent and I think that has just been testament to then the competitive edge within the kind of saying the internal games and all that you know they're, they're unbelievable because and, and it brings everyone on obviously everybody needs to be competitive but you have to have healthy competition as you said there yeah. like so like you're trying to develop yourself but you're also saying like right i'm going to develop and be as good as i can be yeah but if i don't get picked i don't get picked i'm going to develop my my teammate to be as best as he can be to put the team forward as well like yeah and and that's of course difficult because i've been in that situation i've been in both situations from kind of younger years into now i'm trying to then push to kind of get someone else out of the team but at the same token as the teammate i want their team to do well of course i want to be a part of that so it's a double-edged sword you, you know you want to be in there but of course you want your teammates whoever it may be in there lucky enough to get the starting jersey that day to do well yeah do you know exactly you so, don't want to get that jersey by default of somebody playing bad exactly you just want to play better than them so that you get in there so mm-hmm. it may be so good that they can't not start you essentially yeah which is very hard to do when dublin just keep winning but mm-hmm. we'll see what, what happens next year <laughs> i'm only slagging i'm only slagging you, you call us all countries anyway so we have to we have to kind I'm, of call yeah. <laughs> exactly right so moving on to this 
unbelievable reads. Really enjoyed it. Like it's been out a good while now. Like, mm-hmm. what has it been like since it come out? Came out? Has it shocked you at all? Because yeah. I, I, you, I read in an article you said that when they first went to print, you were shocked by the amount that they were going to print initially, and yeah. they sold out pretty much immediately. Then, yeah. like, so you must be just ecstatic about it. Like, yeah. So, I, I, like, starting the whole thing off, I like as I knew if I was to bring it right back to how it actually materialized was, and um, I come back from the states, and after after an undergraduate degree, I'd, I, I finished. I had always planned on taking the year out, and said I want to do something. I, I just don't want to sit and sit idle for a year essentially so of course something that meant to me something to me in my life was sport and then mental health so I was thinking okay what can I do in this year to kind of have an impact on people's mental health etc etc and share my story the first thing was obviously the the blog that I'd written similar enough with that I didn't expect it to blow up as it did it went it went viral it, it went it went huge it blew up and got an awful lot of kind of uh, traction from that and one of which was then the O'Brien Press coming in and email them. I'll never forget the day I was, I was in work. Email came through. Um, the Brian Press basically would you, would you like to, to write a book? And I thought it was one of the lads wanted to do. So it's just like <laughs> naturally I, you I, would I'll get back to that later. Like who wants to write a book? Like and I, I opened up his all official thread. And I was like, okay, I'll reply to it. And I said, yeah, be interested in coming for a talk or whatever. And then even at that, I thought it was like a record deal. You hear like you know record deals falling through the cracks and whatever else. Anyway, cutting 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 away from that. Went into the office, met Michael O'Brien, Mr. O'Brien of the O'Brien Press. And he had essentially just said, look, we want to do a book just straight from the offset. And I was like, okay, what what do we do? Like, as in, where does this work? How does this work? And he said, we believe you can write it. And I was like, I've literally never written a book in my life. And I, I, even in school, I was an average maybe C student. And you know, I wasn't overly academic, like, you know. And, I do. Uh, Jesus. Um but anyway, got going off from that a bit that that basically started what is obviously the book now. Um it was a year and a half in the making. It was when it was sent off, I sent off ninety two thousand words, and um, so a little over six hundred pages. I had days where I'd written for twenty minutes. Days where I've written for six, seven hours. So I had, I, of course, you, you know, as you've read the book, there is parts in there that were extremely difficult because there were parts that not only you were reading for the first time, but mom and dad. Yeah. You know, I, I, and the realization was slowly coming toward the end of, I'm going to be sharing my story with absolute strangers here. And that's a hugely intimidating process because I wouldn't have even shared that with my best friend or the yeah. dog next to me, you know, never mind the whole world. Stemming off from that, and um, yeah, the the Brian Press were, were happy enough with it, and they went off and printed six thousand copies for the for the first kind of print. And I was like, no one's going to buy this. Listen, six thousand people are not going to buy this. And four days into it, uh, they went for another reprint of six thousand because it had done so well. So it went to number one after two weeks, and again surpassed everything from the book. It surpassed my expectations. I just you know expected. I thought it was going to be a good thing for a number of people. It would do well but not to the extent that it did. And I was absolutely blown away from literally everything from the offset when it released right up to now. I'm still getting messages and even, I can actually plug it now, uh, the Opel is actually coming out uh, next week, September 1st. So that's just another platform for people to kind of... Are you reading? No, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I, I fall asleep listening to me. Jesus, no. no, I'd say if I'm, you were reading it, I'd love that. That'd God, be great. No, like, I, I wouldn't say, uh, I'd love Matthew McConaughey or something. <laughs> no, but uh, Lloyd Cooney narrated the Audible. So that's it. Next week, another kind of platform. Unreal. And basically, yeah, uh, to cut a, 
could have long answer very short uh, being blown away yeah but we, we I want those long answers like and I think as well the reason that it did so well was because it was such like a, a candid reflection of your journey like and you were so open in it as you said it was obviously very difficult to open up like mm-hmm. that to the whole world in the book form and that's probably why sometimes when you were writing it like you you were writing a little bit and you're like I don't think that kind of makes it yeah. sound right. I need to rephrase that. And then you go away for a couple of hours and you come back mm-hmm. with a little bit of inspiration and like, just like so brave to be so candid and it necessary. And obviously it's paid off now as well, because one, you've, the book has done really, really well, but yeah. more importantly, as you said, like it's touched so many people yeah. and made such a difference to so many people. So yes, like, yeah. when did you realize, right, I've got to, give this a hundred percent I've got to give this my all and be as open as I possibly can with this I, I think I actually to be fair I had that mindset from the very outset that the one thing for me that I had said to the uh, my editor um, I, I'd said to him right from the very outset is that I'm going to be as open and as honest as I can I don't want this to be cut copy paste and, and like as in filter down essentially yeah. as I'm, I'm going to give you my all here I'm going to tell you quite you know dark and bleak times mm. but this is the reality for so many people living in the darkness and yeah. it was for me of course so when I was writing that, it was difficult because when I was regurgitating in the past, I, I had to go back to those moments. And those moments yeah. that I'll never forget, even from the touch and smell and the feel and all that, I'd never forget those moments. And when I was writing it, those were the days where I'd maybe written for 20, 30 minutes, maybe, you know, and, and I kind of took a step back and just kind of made sure I was looking after myself, 100%. first and foremost. So those were the difficult bits, but it, away from that, as in like the whole thing, and I was so, so surprised because I was expecting it to be it was, of course, difficult, but an awful lot more difficult in terms of the impact it had on me. I found it so therapeutic to basically, when I was writing, I was thinking, look how far I've come here. I've come from a person who wasn't even going to share an ounce of my being to my mom or dad or three best friends or two best friends or whatever it may be around my circle. Never mind the whole world. And then here's me, as I said, how well it's done and continuing to do so. And even from that, like I've had people, although you're looking at the cover of the book, you know, it's Dublin Jersey GA, you probably think it's just for that kind of circle. But I think not even to try to plug it here, but it stretches further than that, you know, kind of way. So I've had people, be it a mom or a dad of someone who maybe have gone through something or um, male or female, 18 years of age, 70 years of age, gone through some portion of what I went through and resonate to it. So I wasn't like, when I hear that back, I'm like, it was definitely worth it. So all those moments, I was a bit hesitant and kind of coming up, to, especially coming up to the lead up to the book of the release of it, I was kind of like, I was absolutely, I was so nervous. I was yeah. like, how is this going to be perceived? Is it going to be a positive or a negative? How is it going to be impacting people in a positive or negative way again? And yeah, it, it was just brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant, literally from even the, the kind of thing of the late, late show. As yeah. like, again, like in, in all due respect to myself, I was like, who am I to on the late, late show? You know, no, you did great. Like, Ro- rocked, like, rocked up in its inner fruit. And I was just like, spoke to the whole world. It was just so surreal. And even the kind of impact of that that I had, of course, being on the late, late, the reach that that has, that was absolutely incredible. That was where I was kind of like, this is something much larger than me kind of happening here, which I wanted to, of course, but I couldn't see it because it was just so hard to kind of see, like, you know. I think the book, like, as you said there, some people might think it's Shane Carty, the footballer, but I think the football is just part of your life in it. And we get into a lot more than just football in it. Like, Mm -hmm. and you come across at the end of it, 
it's Shane Carty, the bloke, essentially, like yeah. that has all these v- various interests, yeah. not just Shane Carty who plays for Dublin. Yeah. And that was probably something that you might have struggled with a little bit when you were one right now and before your identity being Shane Carty, the footballer. Yeah, yeah, I'm big time. And look, to be honest with you, as recognised as, as Shane and Dublin football as, as, as I were at the time and then even kind of over the last night, kind of number of years, that kind of identity piece that... I was struggling with a bit and I was kind of like, of course, and I realized that the kind of impact that I have, you know, way further field than I really do think is going to be, you know, tenfold for, for someone kind of looking at me going, there's Shane Carrick Dublin football. I was fine with that after a number of years after I became comfortable that that's who I am, but I didn't want that to be my sole existence. Do you know what kind of way? Yeah. So it wasn't like, of course, football gives me an awful lot of happiness and I hope it will continue to do so, but it's not me as you said as in like there's an awful lot more to, to Shane Carthy away from football yeah. and and that's the thing that's what I tried to let kind of people know it went through the kind of cycle of you know winning a number of all Ireland's etc etc but then internally there was a completely different story going on and how I tried to kind of cope my outside kind of world outside of football I would say and then writing it and having that motivation to write it and yeah. giving that kind of self-reflection to everybody I suppose mm-hmm. Was there a like a specific kind of why behind it? Like as in I and that kept you going, mm-hmm. saying to yourself, say, this is gonna help people, or I'm gonna put this out to help people. Yeah. And then off the back of that, you've been doing all these talks and stuff. Mm-hmm. What has been the vision behind the talks and the workshops and the why behind that? I, I think and it's an excellent question in terms of how it actually all started was if for particularly the public speaking kind of end of it. Um I, I didn't plan to go into it. I didn't plan for to, to write a book or anything like that. I kind of just snowballed it. It actually started in St. Kieran's College in Kilkenny. I got a message on Facebook and I'd been invited along to talk and I was like, oh, okay, I'll kind of share my story. And straight from the outset, I think it's something that I stand to today that I said, I'm just going to tell my story as I'm like, I can't get this wrong. This is my story. If I was talking about physiology or anatomy, I'd absolutely... <laughs> Fucked. Yeah. I don't know if I'm Christmas, no, yeah, yeah. It's my fucked. podcast. What do you think? Like, yeah, yeah. I'd be absolutely fucked <laughs> if, I, if I was. So, I was like, the way I approached it was I'm speaking to him. Of course, there's a way of storytelling, etc., etc. But I was just going to say, look, I'm going to tell my story as honestly as I can. I always said, even back in St. Pat's, it was like, when I get out of here, my mom vividly remembers me saying it. It's like, when I get out of here, I'm going to spread my story far and wide and have an impact because I don't want anyone to go through what I've went through. Do you know, kind of, yeah. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy where I went to in my life. And of course, if it didn't have that intervention in my life, I, I wouldn't be here to tell the story. So I guess that why I would say, very simply put, is to save a life. And every single time I was writing, as difficult as it was, I'm going to kind of come back to it each time to say, this is to save a life, as in like a paragraph here or a chapter here or something that I say may resonate with someone sitting there in those times that I was back in 2012, 13, and those two, that two year period. So that kind of why, very simply put, is to save a life, I would say. Unreal, man. What a why, like. <laughs> and then, like, like on the other side of that, you touched on it there, saying that you've received messages from people. And I would imagine that a lot of people feel comfortable then opening up with you. So mm. how have you managed that? Because you've got to look after yourself as well, and exactly. you want to help as many people as, as you can, but it can be very emotionally kind of taxing or draining I'd say to just be doing that all the time 
is that your reset stuff like you said going for the sea swims yeah. and learning when to step back from stuff huge yeah and, and it's a great kind of way of kind of segueing into basically from the release of the book as i said i didn't realize the impact that it would have so when when i came out particularly say the late late show post that that's when a lot kind of catapulted into into what it was today and the reaction from that as in like i mean thousands of and thousands of messages and I, I nearly felt kind of guilty that i can't get back to be i literally cannot write back to every single person here and i, I found difficulty in that at the very very start it was something i wasn't used to i tried to prepare myself somewhat but i, I never foreseen what it was and being open and honest about it I, I went through a very very difficult time after the release of the book there was about a six seven week period where um, I was taking an awful lot on. I was wanting, as I say, to help people so dearly. And I'm seeing these messages as in like, I didn't see every single one, but I'd seen these messages of people going through similar enough experiences. And I was taking on that as well as my own mental health that I still look after to this day. And kind of, kind of interventions that I put in because I was taxing myself far too much. I was taking on far too much and I knew it. But the beauty of that was that I'd recognized that, that I wouldn't have recognized so many years ago. So I was noticing kind of these signs and symptoms that I never knew once existed. Then again, of course, nowhere near to the extent that it was back in 2014, but I was noticing these signs. So it was a six week period there where I said, I need to take a step back here. And even, I'm not saying to everyone to do this, but it was something that I had actually taken upon was to get two phones. So I had one phone, which was my, of course, coming in through bookings because I would get bookings for talks through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may be. And I used that as my nine to five phone. My secondary phone was then for my parents, my best friends, and my girlfriend, and, and my sisters, and literally had no social media, nothing. So I was on no Instagram, no Twitter, nothing, literally WhatsApp. And that number went to those people that mean, meant the most to me. And it was a really, really good switch off. So I knew from nine to five, I may have to get back to a couple of people, make a couple of bookings, et cetera, et cetera. But then after five o'clock, that phone goes to the side. And what that done for me was just like, it, it just kind of brought me back to reality of, who's important to me in my life. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm disrespecting the people that were messaging me, but I don't think, of course, they had no intention of harming my mental health, but that's what I was doing. So I need to take a step back. I even took a step back from social media completely after I think it was maybe February. The next time I posted was probably May, you know, so I just took a complete step back and I was like, I'm going to look after myself first. I took, I swallowed my pride. I went back to my psychologist and said, look, I need to reset here. I was, I think over a year away from um, at that period of time and I said look we need to have a little reset here I need to go back and kind of I would say unearth kind of things that I was maybe brushing aside or neglecting and and I didn't mean that in, in any way that I was doing that but inadvertently I was so we went back to very very simple basics and I kind of built myself back up and now I just have an, an awful lot kind of I would say an awful lot kind of handier way of life in terms of the work-life balance between that Again, I'm still trying to manage it as best I can. Sometimes I take on too much, but each time I'm going to that tipping point, I'm coming back and I'm going, hold on, check yourself here. As I'm like, what means something to you? And going back to the kind of fundamentals that served me so well back in St. Pat's and for a number of years after. Yeah, you obviously are a lot better at recognizing kind of what's going to trigger you and make you feel mm-hmm. a little bit worse or what may trigger some negative feelings again and then just addressing them straight away, which you have to be able to. I remember after the late, late, seeing you on the late, late, I actually said, because I messaged you like three or four weeks after that, if you remember, because I was like, that fella is going to be inundated (laughs) now with every person he's ever met amongst other people that he's never met messaging. So I was like, 
I'm just going to message him, say, fair play, you did great, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, later on down the line, I was like, do you know what? Like, it might be a good idea to have a, a kind of open talk about it. But, like, you've got to manage yourself as well. And it Big looks time. like you you're really are doing that by having the two phones. I didn't even think of that. I just have all notifications off and then the phone goes off when I'm stepping away from work. But yeah. that kind of comes with the the it's a two-edged sword because then when my mom or whoever's trying to get in touch with me, it's off for everybody. So that's a great idea. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they know, they know at this stage, but yeah. And, and this is how big it is. So I have, I'm in a mentorship group with a number of coaches from around the world. Mm-hmm. And they were asking me who was I have coming up on the podcast. And I said, Shane Carty, Dublin footballer. I said, they wouldn't really know who Shane Carty Dublin footballer is. No yeah. offence now. Yeah, but, yeah. but they're from England. Yeah. They're from wherever. And I said, oh, he was on the Late Late Show before. They all knew what the Late Late Show was. Serious. They all knew how big. They were like, whoa, that's huge. And I was yeah. like, well, it's actually just Shane. Like, <laughs> he, I know him from college. Like, so it's not that big of a deal. But they just, that's how mega the Late Late is yeah. perceived overseas. And you did so well in that. And I'm kind of reflecting back on when we were in college and doing presentations and stuff that never really seemed to phase you too much in presentations you were always quite good in front of the group talking yeah. no matter if as you said you might know what you're talking about you were always kind of comfortable in front of a crowd yeah i i think the way i kind of looked at that was again that one from the book from my story i can't get it wrong and then two if i then you know, although I gave a perception that I'd done absolutely nothing, I, I'd done an awful lot of pres- uh, preparation for the presentation. Mm-hmm. And then I just armed myself with that. Okay, this is what I know. This is what I'm going to talk about. And the way I looked at it as well, is like so many other people are going to be up here nervous. So I'm in the exact same boat. It's not, it's not to say I'm, I'm not nervous. I may come across as a bit more calm and kind of collected than other people, but I am nervous until you kind of get going. And then you kind of just get into a flow of it. So it was kind of the, the both balances between them that I obviously had the advantage of having a public speaking away from kind of college. And that obviously then helped me. And then on the flip side of that, it helped me with the public speaking type. So I would say from that point of view, it, it, it's the more you expose yourself to it, the better and more custom you come to it. And you have like kind of, then you develop kind of little intricacies in terms of how you present and how you kind of convey certain messages, whether it's through visuals or kind of just describing stuff or whatever it may be. So I was always learning, even though I, I was coming across a bit of a mess again in college. Yeah. I was then always reflecting. You and me both. Well, but yeah, yeah. You know, and, well, obviously, I don't know how we got through. Yeah. We did. Um, but I would always reflect. I would always kind of self-reflect and go, how did I come across there? How did I kind of, and I'd be kind of messing. I was like, oh, how did I go or whatever? But I'd be very much listening to the answers because I wanted to bring that into not only the next college presentation, but then obviously public speaking as well. So I'm never kind of resting on my laurels thinking I'm a great public speaker. I'm, I'm average at best, I would say, but wanting to improve each time, I'd say. But that's what makes you good is that you know that you're not. In, yeah. your, in your own head, you're not. And that's yeah. in anything, that's what drives you on. Yeah. And knowing that you have more to improve when people rest under laurels as you said that's when they stagnate and they're not going to be great yeah and, and i think that's always that was always ingrained in me not, not so much I, I would say kind of into me but as like my dad was very much in terms of what i had seen him in his kind of kind of older younger years of mine when he was working it and again it was a quote in the book that put everything anything you do you do to the best of your ability 
And every single time I went into something, I wanted, although I may have not been the, the best in the room or the best on the pitch at that particular kind of, on that particular day, but then I was going to take that to my start point and keep, in, keep on continuing on that. And that's the way I've always seen it. Until the day that I retire, I will always see it as that way. So it wasn't like, you're, you're only as good as your last game. My dad has always said that to me. And my last game may be a game in a college presentation or a game in a public speaking or a game in a pitch. I've always seen it that way. And I think inadvertently he was always kind of ingraining that in me in my younger years and kind of developing on to this day then. And if you can present in front of Niall Moyna and Donald O'Gorman, then you can present in front of Ryan Tuberty, no problem. And the nation, you're not going to be grilled as much. But um, yeah, like it's it's having that kind of mentality of self-improvement all the time and wanting to be better drives you on. But on the same side, at times, I'm sure like that's what made you feel a little bit depressed or a little bit down that you were always not good enough in your own in your own head. Hugely, yeah. And, and my sisters actually always joked about it. Even I remember back in the days when we, we were playing a bit of club football and um, I was lucky enough to pick up the same amount of matches or player of the year accolades and everything like that. I was never, ever satisfied with that. And my sister's like, will you just take it for what it is? You've done well here and kind of take it with that. And I, I could see exactly your point, doesn't like, in some cases, absolutely, that's a great way to be. But in other cases, it could be detrimental because you're never satisfied and you're always kind of anxious and wanting to do better. And you're kind of then beating yourself down and that kind of self-confidence is always chipping away. At, like, you, you know, so exactly that kind of point where sometimes, and I think I'm, again, still learning. I still will learn as, as the years kind of develop. I'm still learning that kind of way because one of my mates said, oh, really fair play to your back, back into the open squad. I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not happy and, and again I, I say in the same token if I get into the starting 15 and then again I'll want to drive on even more so if I play a really good match I'll be like well I need to do better because we're up against better opposition or I didn't do that right I didn't do that right so it's just going to continue and kind of process of that but always being kind of mindful and again it kind of comes back to that kind of keeping my emotions in check and recognizing these things an awful lot more and kind of just going, okay, let's re reassess here. Take yourself out of your body. And the, the way I love to see the kind of visual, I'm actually run off on tangent here, but my psychologist had kind of taken me out and kind of said this kind of visual of taking yourself out of your own body and kind of looking at yourself as like a helicopter view type thing and assessing the situation. And one that what that does for you is kind of takes you out that moment in time and allows you to kind of, you know, reduce your anxiety from one point of view. And then two, actually reassess in terms of, is it as actually bad as it looks first, like a, a, a first hand, do you know what kind of way? So that's the way I kind of develop my own kind of self-talk and my own self-confidence each way in terms of it's on the pitch and the presentation or writing a book or whatever it may be. These are all tools that you've developed over the years yeah. to deal with it, but you didn't always have these tools. So when you were suffering in silence for so long, mm -hmm. You eventually opened up first to your mother, wasn't it? Yeah. What was the reason that you were feeling that you couldn't open up? Was it a feeling of like, I know you spoke about it in the book, like a mm -hmm. feeling of guilt. Why am I feeling this way? Why can't I be happy with what I have? Yeah, yeah. I, I think there was two reasons for it. It was exactly that which you just touched upon there in terms of I'd seen so many people having so much happiness for me in my life, but I couldn't see that. And then... As a result of that, I was then feeling guilty. It was like, okay, my dad is absolutely ecstatic that I've just got my hands on my first All-Ireland medal and then second one come the following year in a senior in a senior capacity. You know, first off with the minors 
and then straight on to the seniors. And I could see so many people being so happy for me. And I was thinking, why aren't I feeling any of this? And, and how come I can't? So that was one reason. And then the second reason was actually just the fear of the unknown. So when I speak about that, the fear of the unknown was, and again, there was very few, if, if any, people speaking about mental health in around that time, especially around 2012. Mental health wasn't, it was non-existent. And if it was, it was very much a taboo subject. So any time I recognised mental health was in the films, as in, I, I always coined it the last time, I'm always talking about Sugar Island. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of thing of a mental hospital, people in straight jackets. I just thought, like, if you've a mental health, you're, you're crazy, quote, unquote, crazy, of course that's not the case but back then that's the perception of that what I had so I never thought that I was depressed or anxious I thought it was hormonal changes at the very very start and then after that it was the fear of the unknown because I was like no one else is going through so no one else is a book or no one else is speaking about this online or no one has spoken about this at our school so what is this that's why that's those are the two reasons that I kept it within for so long and then it was just from developing on from there speaking to my mom that was a huge, huge, obviously a huge turning point in my life. But again, an intervention that I really did need because at that point in time, the mask was wearing thin as in like, you know, the bloodshot eyes from errors of crying in the car and the pale kind of complexion that I was wearing. I just couldn't keep up the act anymore. It was just kind of physically, you could see the deterioration that it was obviously having on, having on my life at that particular time. Like, so I'm not in a way in agreement because I have never disclosed this to you, obviously, as well. But there's a lot of parallels in your story and what I've gone through over the years. Okay. Um, and that might be because sometimes I might be saying things here and I, I'd say that they might come across very brash and kind of blunt. Yeah, and yeah. people will think that I'm being brash and blunt. But I can almost put myself in your shoes in the stuff that I've gone through. And there's tons of parallels between your story and mine. Mm-hmm. Um. And I know myself that my support system that I had throughout all of those struggles was one of the major reasons that I'm still here. And I'm sure you'll say the same thing. What is it about your support system that kind of keeps you in check throughout those times? And why do you think it is that knowing that we do have that support system when you're going through it, when you're that age, 18, 19, you still feel like you can't verbalize it or tell them and i i know i know you're what you're saying as well like there wasn't the same kind of chat about it so you're nearly asking yourself what's wrong with me why can't i feel like they feel like everybody else because you think everybody else is having a great time yeah yeah but look at what we're saying now like everybody else isn't always having a great time and people have to be open to disclose bits of information about how they're feeling because then you'll never have conversations like this and notice parallels between how you're feeling and how other people are feeling. Yeah, huge. And I think even from that point of view, like, as I said, I, I didn't actually, of course, I didn't know that there was huge parallels between myself and myself. But even when I'm speaking to, to anyone at all, there's always some crossover. And, and I don't know what it is. I don't, I, I've always said this to, to my mates. It's like, when I'm speaking to someone and after a period of time, I'm kind of like, they've had some form of mental health difficulty or something like that in their life from either the language that they're using or the, I, I don't know what it is. I basically don't know what it is and I don't know whether it's my time in St. Pat's that I spent around for so long with people of other eating disorders or depression or anxiety or schizophrenia or whatever it may be. And it was kind of just kind of, I would say, getting used to that kind of realm or that kind of language and people around me for that. But kind of going on to going back to the support systems, of course, that's that was a massive hand in, in where, I, where I kind of came to eventually. 
you know, if I didn't have that and, you know, the reality of it was that I was going one way and it wasn't going to end in, in, in any kind of happy kind of happy end, let's put it that way. And the way I would seen it or the way I would have seen it was if I didn't have that support system there, I wouldn't have known where to turn. So my support system, of course, first of all, came from, the, from my family, my friends, from the GPA, from Desi Farrell to McGavin and, and an awful lot of people that, that I've spoken about in the book. And I've thanked hugely because they got to me, they got to me at a, at a point in time where I wasn't too sure of where to turn. And they were just that shining light that I needed at that particular time. And then even in around there, that kind of 18, 19, 20 years of age, I would say, you know, it, it's, it's a very, it's a very difficult age, regardless of if you're going through something, because there's an awful lot of kind of transition in your life. So you're going from, you're being told in fifth and sixth year, you need to make your life decision now. You need to, you know, you need to go into college. You need to, you know, further on your career, et cetera, et cetera. And there's like a ladder and there's like, that's absolutely not the case. As in mm. like, if I could have told my 17, 18 year old self, you know, that is absolutely bullshit. Like I, I would, you, you know, but in around the time, you're just believing what the older people and older generation of, more, I would say, experience in life or so-called experience in life, what were they were telling you, you, you know, the kind of way. So I think there's a certain element of one, I would say, a, a pride thing amongst uh, your friends, I would say, especially in around that time for me, I was the quote unquote, like alpha male or whatever you want to say, or, or the kind of number one in the group I was achieving and et cetera, et cetera, living a great life, supporting family and everything going well for me. And that was a difficulty that I had. And I think an awful lot of people can relate to that. Not only if it's away from sport, if you're just amongst your friends, there's always some air of invincibility to some some extent for anyone and everyone. And there's just that pride element of, geez, I can't sit around the lads and I'm not only saying lads, or girls, I can't sit around here and just go, I'm feeling really shit today. I'm feeling really, really shit. Is there any chance we can talk about it? I was like, hold on, just pause that game of FIFA or something like that. Like, we'll talk about it. Like, you've just never seen that, especially 18, 19, 20. You're not emotionally kind of developed in around that kind of time and again to go off on a slight kind of curve of that the reason why i'm doing this as well in particular around that time is because of course people aren't emotionally intelligent enough at that stage to recognize all these thoughts and feelings that are going on but i want people to recognize that it is a normal thing somewhat to, to, to be going on for you and you're not the only one and these are the tools and resources you talked about kind of I would say tools and resources that has helped me so much and still to this day, the mental health toolbox about coming yeah. back in St. Pat's. I love that little kind of that visual of like having little tools and in my mental health toolbox to kind of rely upon on a day that I'm feeling stressed or anxious or depressed or whatever it may be. And I'm trying to arm these kind of people at 15, 16, 17 years of age saying, you may not be going through a difficult time at this present moment in time, but when you have a bank of knowledge here, if you come into contact with this or your friend or someone, because someone is going to be affected by it, you know what to do. So it's not a question of you're sitting there amongst your friends going, no one else has gone through this. I don't know what this is. We've spoken about it. You've been educated somewhat to an extent about it. And these are the steps that you can take. You know, I, and I always, I'm very, very conscious to say to people, especially even people kind of reaching out to me as well. I'm very conscious to say to people, it's like, I will give you my experience. I will give you what worked for me. and I will try help you in the best way that I can. I'm not a doctor or psychologist. I don't have all the answers. So don't take it as gospel what I'm saying. I will absolutely try to point you in the right direction. What I know is good. But again, you kind of have to find your own path in terms of finding a doctor or psychologist and taking those steps 
in around like kind of 18, 19, 20 years of age, if you are kind of going through a difficult time. Again, we're not speaking about just that age group, but it is for me anyway. But when you're that age as well, it seems like, as you said, you're in transition and you're being told, right, previously you were an adolescent or a child, and now mm-hmm. you're an adult. So in that period, it nearly feels like you're always trying to be what you think you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. So then yeah, yeah. you're you don't want to show that side to yourself. Yeah. And because of that, you, you know yourself when you're putting on the mask, as you exactly. said, like when people ask you and you just give them a blasé answer and it doesn't feel good inside you. And then that like builds up and builds up over time. Yeah. And then it can culminate in what you said yourself, that kind of breakdown in front of your mum. Mm-hmm. And why is it always the mother as well with Irish lads? Like that you fit you're comfortable open up to Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> like, but it's it's you just know that your mom's gonna listen to you un- and take everything on board unreservedly. Yeah. But there's also what we just talked about, the guilt that you feel yourself mm-hmm. when you're when you're playing FIFA and the lads ask you how you're getting on or whatever, he's like, Oh, they don't want to hear about this. I don't want to put this yeah. stuff on them. But usually when you do talk it out a little bit more, we said it can be a little bit emotionally draining yeah. for the person listening, but it's necessary as well. Like, exactly. And they're usually 99.999% of the time, they are happy for you to open up and to help you in any way that they possibly can. Yeah. And that, that's the thing, as in like the true colors of your mates will come out in around that time. Mm. Of course, if I went to a mate and he was like, oh, I don't really want to hear this, like, you're going to have to reassess with who your real mates are, you know? And as I said, that kind of, again, going back to the support network, anyone that I had opened up to were hugely willing to help. And I guess even people listen to kind of podcast stuff, like how, how will I take on that information or how will I react or how should I react in that kind of situation? And a massive kind of advice that I would kind of relate to people would be, again, don't try to be the, the doctor or psychologist in a room. They're not looking for all the answers. Very oftentimes from my experience anyway, that person kind of telling off their difficulties, whatever it may be, is very often just looking for a little kind of soundboard of just kind of, okay, I'm going to test the waters here, see what I say, and just try not be non-judgmental. If you can relate to them, absolutely. But very oftentimes that person is just looking for you to kind of go, okay, is this kind of okay here? Grand. And then it kind of continues on from there. And I even remember my mate as well, even if you are approaching kind of one of your mates if you notice kind of difficulties you, you know your mates as, as as well as anyone else so if you notice kind of difficulties that may be going on for them there's no problem in terms of you approaching them in the right manner as in like not amongst, mm. amongst the group but a little side to side or a little phone call or a little text or something like that and I had my own kind of kind of personal kind of experience with that I noticed one of my mates a good while ago now not quite being himself I'd approached him at the time and I'd said look I Notice you're being a bit bit different. Is everything okay? Do you want, do you want to chat and, and whatever else? And on that particular day, he didn't want to speak, he didn't want to speak, and, and I'd known that. And very oftentimes, I would say to people, if you do reach out and it doesn't come back, don't be offended by that because very oftentimes you have days where you want to talk and you have days where you don't want to talk. I just caught him on a day where he didn't want to talk, and it wasn't only until a couple of months later that he approached me and he goes, "This night, I know you approached me there. Well, was there any chance we can have have a chat?" And, of course, we won't go into the details of what we spoke about, but we had a frank and honest discussion. There was a number of things kind of going on from him, and I'd managed to point him in the right direction, and he's doing an awful lot better, thankfully, to that day. So that's just my own personal experience from that on both sides, as in, like, how you can approach someone, and then how you can take on that kind of information if you are that person that 
they're going to go, okay, I'm going to put all my eggs into this basket and, and see how they react. Speaking on the support systems, like this was something that I was bouncing around in my head and asking and kind of questioning myself as well. What actually makes a good listener or makes you comfortable opening up with someone? And what you kind of said and touched on there is they're just showing that empathy yeah. and, and they're not forcing you, well, you need to do this, 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 and this, because mm-hmm. when somebody opens up like that, typically sometimes they might be looking for advice, but they're not always. Sometimes, as you said, they just want to voice their thoughts and they just yeah. need to talk to someone and they need somebody to say, that's really shit. I'm sorry. You're going through that. Yeah. And even if you can't empathize with them and you voice that, I don't really know what that feels like. Mm-hmm but it sounds awful. I'm here to talk to you, to, to talk to whenever you want. Yeah. And it's a great thing after you've had that um, first discussion or somebody has, a, or you've approached somebody and said, are you okay? Then on, it's just, it's way more normal to oh, be like, how are you, yeah, how are you yeah. feeling lately? I am actually not too bad. Yeah. And then you know yourself, they're not putting on that face anymore because they've already opened up to you. They already feel comfortable in yeah. speaking to you about those deep things. So you can actually you can be a little bit more like accepting of what they say to you at face value. Huge. There's more trust there. Yeah. And, and I think even from, from my side of the, the contrast again, from pre kind of St. Pat's that that conversation was non-existent to post St. Pat's as in particularly for my circle of mates, it's, it's like talking about the weather as in like the lads and on the flip side, then they may be going through something particularly difficulty in their life and, I can kind of relate and resonate in some shape or form. If I can't exactly what it is, like I can't really obviously relate there, but it sounds off, et cetera, et cetera. That type of thing that you can be saying to them. And even at that point in time that you get to a point and I remember my, my parents and, and sisters like, and that I've never heard you talk so much in, in your life. As in like, I just was like, it was like verbal diary after that, like, you know, but you then get to some point and, and I'm sure you can relate this as well. You, you get some point in your life or a certain point in time that, you're just sick of talking and the last thing that you want to do is then cut that conversation completely so how i've actually managed to kind of i would say intercept that kind of negative kind of i would say reaction to it and just go no i'm just going to bottle it up. i don't feel like talking is actually writing down your thoughts and feelings so as like I, I have a diary at home or a journal at home and it's not a particular i'm not journaling but like as i may just write down a, a thought or a feeling emotion or whatever it may be and when you see it down the page again, similar enough to kind of the helicopter view, you take yourself back and you're kind of just writing down your thoughts and feelings like it's not actually as bad as it first thought. Do you know, do you know the kind of reaction that you have after I speak to you and you're kind of like way off the shoulders? It's nearly like talking to the page. And that that's an, that's another kind of tip or kind of, I would say, a tool that you may put into your toolbox if you are at that stage that you've spoken so much, you're like, I'm sick of talking. The last thing you want to do is bottle that up again just write down those thoughts and feelings that was again what happened for me it may not work for everyone but no i've done the same thing and it does it definitely helps an important thing to note for people as well is there does come a stage when people are going through something like that that they don't want to talk anymore and it's very important at that stage not to continue probing them Mm -hmm. when they're if they say i really i don't want to talk right now Mm -hmm. you have to just accept it and potentially say well that's okay I, I'll respect that. But when you do want to talk, you know, I'm here and I'm, yeah. I'm willing to talk to you. And that's that's all they need. And then it's funny as well, because like um, before this podcast earlier on today, I was feeling really anxious really? and I couldn't figure really? out 
why I was anxious all day. Yeah. But I was like, just had loads of stuff to do. And I was like, oh, so much to do. And then I was washing the dishes in a ba- in bad humor. And then I was like, I'm just fucking, I'm nervous about talking to Shane in person yeah. about the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And and opening up and then obviously putting it online. And then once you realize that, as you said, you take a step back, it's like, sure, who cares? Like, you know, like, like, and it's not a big deal anymore. And it's about being self-aware enough. And I think when you're younger and you're going through that kind of stuff, you run away from your feelings and your emotions a little bit. You don't sit and try to nearly break them down and rationalize why am i feeling like this Mm -hmm. and that's a very important part of the toolbox as well yeah is being brave enough to face your emotions head on and then once you face them head on then you get through them and that's that emotional intelligence that i was talking about because exactly that when you're younger you you just kind of ignore you just face with a bad mood all day and and you just don't i don't want to talk about it and you're having that same conversation within your head but exactly what you've just done there you took a step back to, to an extent it's like and then reassess that later day it's like why am i actually having that conversation why am i actually anxious for yeah like what what is the actual reason and then putting it out there in, in all honesty it was like okay this is this is natural and maybe for one reason or another that you may be feeling anxious but again you've tackled that problem so it's not something up in your head anymore it's not something that you're bottling up you recognize that you've spoken to yourself you've seen it for what it is and again as you say a massive thing for me over the last number of years is actually realizing that no one cares what's going on in your life in all honesty no one actually cares so it wasn't like a massive thing for me if it may be in, in my sporting world or, or, or private life or, or whatever it may be no one actually cares so it wasn't like a massive problem for me if i'm going out and i'm thinking there's a hair out of place they're going to be looking they don't care they're all thinking the same thing yeah. about themselves. They're about themselves. So they, like, they can't like, even worry about other people when they're worried yeah. about themselves. But that is it. Like, it's not, I use that same phrase a lot. And sometimes people misunderstand it, I think. Yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah. It's not that they don't care about you. Yeah. But it's, they don't care about the things that you're getting real worked up over. Mm. They care about you as you, the real part of you that they actually like. Yeah, sure. Um, they don't care, as you said, if your hair is out of place or they don't care if your shirt has a bit of red wine on it or anything like that. Yeah. You know, like they're minute things. They don't make up what makes you you and what makes you the person that they want to hang around with and yeah. they want to be around. So like these small things can build up and get to you. But at the same time, when you have that level of emotional intelligence, you can assess them. But that's something you have to work on as well. Because that's, people will be worried now listening to this potentially and they'll be like, I'm I'm not able to do that. But it's a step-by-step process. And the step-by-step process started for you in St. Pat's, yeah. which was like very much step-by-step. Mm-hmm. And I'm very interested into what kind of went on there because I made the decision myself back years and years ago because that was voiced to me do you want to go to St. Pat's I was given the choice and I said no I don't want to go to St. Pat's yeah. do you know why I didn't want to go because <laughs> I thought it was going to be like <laughs> shorter yeah, islands yeah 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 and, and me freeing at the front of the water <laughs> I didn't know you were going to be there but that's that's the perspective that you're given of what oh, time, yeah. a mental yeah. hospital yeah. is but how different was it for you there and what were the things that you kind of worked on there like from from the outset as in like again i always ask the question even in my talks like from a psychologist even room what do people think it looks like it's like oh you're lying down in the bed and they're like in a lab coat and like they're 
you know, you're gazing into this. It's like, that's not the case. It's like, you're literally sitting down in a chair, a nice comfortable setting, and you're having a talk like you're talking with your mates. That's the setting that it is in there. And then even away from that, the actual hospital setup, of course, being so lucky to have the resources there to get me into St. Pat's. And um, again, the setup as in like, there, there's no pallid cells, there's no straight jackets, there's nothing like that. As in like, it's just not the case. Very much normal people who are just trying to cope in the best way that they can with whatever mental health um, diagnosis that they've been given. And, and, and that is the case. So in, in terms of, you had the quite dark and bleak uh, time that I was in the security unit. So there's three kind of sections within the security unit, which is um, a, a kind of, I would say, high security unit uh, for the own safety of yourself. I won't get too much into it, but the, the, the likes of that, and then you have a semi-security unit and then you have the open unit. So the whole idea is if you've come in and secure unit, you make that transition into the semi-security unit. Is the secure unit where the shoelaces? So to see, yeah, to, 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 go in, to go into a bit of detail, as in like even to touch upon a, a, a lighter kind of story with that, when I went into security unit, basically it's a confined area. You're not allowed to even out into the garden. So anything from, if I had any uh, shoelaces from strings into a hoodie, into shorts, whatever it may be, none of that, no charging cables, no razors, like, and, and, and again, we're having to say it, there, there's a good reason for that. Mm. And that was unfortunately the point that I got to at some point in time in St. Pat's. I was just going to say, you beat all the levels of the game in there. So oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> got through. St. Pat's completely. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, when we were actually out in the garden, my, my mama, she, she's always so inquisitive and um, you're allowed kind of completely out into the garden. Now, it's only small 10 by 10 garden that me and my dad were playing one day and I had my lace of shoes on and my mom was looking around and I'm just there in my normal clothes and she was asking me she was like how, how do you tell the difference between like people are coming to visit and, and, and patients like oh that's easy just look at their shoes <laughs> and I was kind of like you know the laugh or cry at that yeah. point in time she was like I, I don't know how to react that we, we laughed at it better obviously hopefully um, nobody comes in with velcro on that's the only thing oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> they don't let them leave Come on in my heels or yeah. like that. but um, that, that was the severity of the situation yeah. that I was in in St. Pat's um, and then it's kind of the semi-security unit you're still confined to a certain area but again I say confined as in like you're it's it's very much as in a brightly lit kind of area in terms of you have your you have your own room, even on suite bathroom, you're going to the communal area with the TV and beanbags and chairs, you have a kitchen area. Uh so it's it's not like as in you're you're confined, you're locked in, like it's it's not like that at all. And then you have a little garden, and again, making that transition into the open unit, you're exposed to the much larger side of the hospital in terms of like the, the bigger canteen. There's three levels then to to the uh, to the hospital, then after that, and you have a massive kind of outdoor back garden. And then you have basically a company leave. So as in like, that's where my transition really kind of came to came to speed at that point in time where you're given weekend leave. So it was kind of like a little kind of taster of, okay, go out, practice these tools and resources that we've built upon with you over the last number of weeks or months, whatever it may be, and then try them for a couple of days at least, and then come on back in and you kind of reassess. So all the while that was happening, I had like a team of doctors, psychologists, and um, you're assigned for that period of time. And basically, you kind of just strip it back right to the beginning. And, and as I said, literally from step one right to this day. So the tools and resources, again, it's very individualistic. I built upon those with my doctors and psychologists and built upon that all the way through the 11 weeks that I was there in St. Pat's. The, as a coined the book, 11 weeks to change my life because mm. the person that went in was certainly not the person that came out. I kind of rejigged my mind and kind of had a, a new way of thinking, a new outlook on life, a, a, a willing to live essentially because I was going there at the depths of despair and came out really really excited for life and really excited that 
I was lucky enough to to an extent get a second second opportunity, and, and that's yeah. what it was for me. You know, so from that point of view, I, I went on and I went and seen two psychologists over a span of kind of four years, two different psychologists, and again, just kind of different therapies from kind of uh, visual kind of visualization to kind of meditation to even touching upon that when people hear meditation you think you're yeah. you're kind of sitting on a mat and you're doing yoga pose and all it's absolutely not the case yeah. and like it's all just fluffed up again what you probably see in films yeah and all these things i was just exposing myself to and again you touch upon there about the kind of it's an everyday thing and, I, and i'm very much conscious of that for people as in like i very much say to people that you, you need to Go at this every single day. So yeah. I was like, this isn't a thing that you can dip in and out of. We mm. have our mental health is part of our every single day life. We, yeah. we think every day, we're thinking every second of the day. And from that point of view, the way I'd seen it was in St. Pat's, I said, I do an awful lot of physical training. I try to be the best that I can be at that. I'm going to do an awful lot of mental training here. And again, I'm going to try to be the best that I can be at that. Whether I get there every single day, that's another thing. But I'm definitely going to try and reach that point in, in in my life and that's what i tried to say to people you look after your physical health look after your mental health in the same way the way i did there only a number of months back there when i kind of just had a swallowing of, of my pride and said right i need to go back here and start kind of going back to basics and build myself up yet again and it's important to check in like that fairly frequently as well yeah, and see how am i feeling and Find out what works for you, because what works for one person might not work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And likewise, to touch on the meditation stuff, like try it. If it works, all well and good. If it doesn't work, don't throw it out completely. Because I remember myself, I tried the CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy when I was like 19. I fucking hated it. And then now I'm 26 and I I meditate every day, even if it's only five minutes. And same thing, people think that you're sitting there going, oh, it's just literally sitting there and just being there and assessing whatever thoughts you have and accepting them. And I just find that it relaxes me for the rest of the day afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that's what works for me. And likewise, if you get to a stage where you're having these thoughts that are maybe coming a little bit more frequently maybe you'll need to sit down and verbalize them in some way so writing yeah. maybe you need to verbalize them by talking to someone as you said you're you're taught you have checked in with the psychologist um a number of times over the last number of years like mm-hmm. and you have to be brave enough to do that too yeah but it's all about finding which one of those work for you and gets you in a better frame of mind which brings me to the next question that i heard a, i heard a quote before and i was interested to know your, your perspective on it yeah was um depression is something that never leaves you you just learn to deal with it better and i thought so apt because like Could be more spot on, yeah. yeah because like that might sound like the people that oh he's depressed all the time for the for his whole life he's yeah, going to be yeah. depressed but that's not what it means it means that you know yourself the triggers that will make you slip back into that state. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that they're really small triggers and anything could set you off. Mm -hmm. But you also know the things in your life that bring you happiness. And you know know to go towards the things that bring you happiness and that don't make you feel that depression or anxiety that you have felt in the past. Yeah, and 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 the way I kind of... And again, that quote was absolutely spot on in terms of what it is. And that was, again for me at that point in time in St. Pat's when I come to that realization and the big thing is acceptance you accept that that acceptance piece of this is going to be an everyday thing it becomes an awful lot easier because if you're battling against that and kind of pulling against the rope you're kind of thinking this is a losing battle here because whether like it or not this 
going to be something that I'm going to have to deal with every single day. And as you kind of develop through the, the, the weeks and months and years, as it were for me anyway, when I was at my lowest, of course, I was at, I was at rock bottom. But as I built up these tools and resources each time, say, for example, there back in, back in February after a number of weeks after the release of the book, I come from literally feeling up here and then I got down to here and then I checked myself. It's like, okay, this is, this is a point in my life where I need to kind of recognize these signs and symptoms where years previous it would have been from here to here to here to here. So it wasn't like I hadn't that much to yeah. step up. That's the way I try to explain it to people. And that's not to say you may have another devastating loss in, in another shape or form, but you've always that kind of confidence of, for me anyway, I've gotten through the most difficult battle you will ever go through in your life. Whatever I'm faced with, whether it be in my sport life or private life or whatever it may be, I'm going to get through this as well. So as I'm like, and there's a certain, and, and it's, it's probably sounds so fucked up in a way, I nearly kind of smile through adversity. And, and I think, I, I'm not going to butcher a quote, but there, there's a number of quotes yeah. through there, kind of on the kind of topic of, of adversity, as in like, I absolutely smile through adversity because similar enough to what we spoke about there with the semi-final loss against um, Mayo or um, either failing an exam or, or whatever it may be, or like, you know, if getting fired from a job, as in like all these things, and I'm a massive believer not to get too much in depth in, in it, I'm a massive believer that these things happen for a reason. Mm. So that happened back in 2014 for me in St. Pat's, you know, even losing against Mayo, we, you may never even see, see the kind of, kind of reason behind it at that particular time but at some point in time it's happened for a reason and through adversity you're going to learn and, and evolve an awful lot more than what you were at that point in time i think that's something that i, I was going to say to you as well like having gone through that mm-hmm. you nearly feel stronger because you know where you've been and you've pulled yourself out of that hole because like obviously we talk support system Mm -hmm. and the support system can help you there and they can be there essentially is what they can do for you but you've got to you've got to pull yourself out of that that hole yourself yeah um it's almost like this is a very dark kind of analogy but to the cliffs that you're talking about even your support system can be there and they can hold on to your t-shirt or they can hold on to you at the cliff, but you have to be the one to take the step to walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to take that first step. And that's not to say that the support system is redundant. They're there no. to facilitate that and to help, help you through that. But having gone through those challenges, you always in the future, you will feel stronger because of it. Mm-hmm. And an important thing to note about St. Pat's as well, and any kind of mental hospital or institution like that is we're all working on self-development every day. Mm-hmm. The way to treat something like that, if you admit the same paths, is that's just an accelerated form of self-development. Yeah. It's it's just like, right, well, I'm studying for the leaving cert. I'm not doing great. I might go to the institute or I might go and get a few grinds. Yeah. Say your psychologist is your grinds and then same paths is heading to the institute yeah. for, a few, for a little brief period. Everybody else is working on self-development all the time as well. Yeah. It just might be they're doing it on their own. I suppose it's come a little bit easier, but that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you, that you have to go into this accelerated form of self-development and you're going to come out the other side of it as well, as long as you invest in it and you accept it and you give it a hundred percent, like you give everything. Yeah. And that, 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 I love that kind of visual. I've, I've seen it as that. And the way even another kind of visual, I, I see it as like a little NCT for your mind. <laughs> Yeah. Do, you know, do you know what kind of way yeah. I'm going to check in 
is everything okay have, have, have a pass if not okay what do I, what needs to get done how do we do it okay and then I'm, I'm all good to go and off you go do you know the kind of way so any kind of visual that helps you within that is only good you know and that massive thing as you touched upon there at the end is acceptance once you accept it for what it is you'd be absolutely making strides and, and whatever it may be that you are facing because that's a massive thing for me as I said back in St. Bath's acceptance and then I can massively develop from there because an awful lot of people are kind of again to, to say tooling against that rope and, and not really kind of accepting where they are in their life and they can go to a gym they can talk and whatever else etc etc but until you actually meet that head on and face that problem and if it is a thing of you going either to St. Pat's or a different institution wherever it may be doctor psychologist then you can really kind of accelerate that form of kind of therapy I would say to get yeah. you on the right track and I think it's important as well to note that a common characteristic of people that go through things like this is they have the ability to laugh and joke and and self-depreciate and humor essentially like yeah. and have a bit of a laugh about it so myself and Shane might seem like we're um, having a bit of a laugh about things like this but they're very serious topics yeah. but if you don't laugh you cr- you'd cry I think is the, is the old uh, phrase that they use and I think like we have to make like light-hearted kind of comments and a, bit, a few jokes about it because that's what makes it like livable you know like yeah. and that's what makes you able to open up about it and Irish people in general have you ever known an Irish person to have a completely like yeah. normal conversation that doesn't have any sort of a laugh in or any sort of crack in it so and, and that's the thing as like even when I, I if people are kind of saying and I get to, to some extent where they're saying well you can't you can't be saying that or you can't make a laugh and a joke but that again is holding on to the stigma that has been held on for so long as in, like, I even remember when I was on um, my uh, antidepressants and Prozac that I was on, sent over one of my mates' gaffes one of the days, and he was, he was like, what's that? I was like, oh, there's some crazy pills, my Smarties or something, yeah. like, or whatever I call yeah. it. And I was like, and even off the kind of cuff comments of, you're a lunatic, I was like, yeah, no, I'm sure I was in the same past. <laughs> do, do you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, yeah. And at the start, the lads were like, come, come yeah, me. Yeah, they don't laugh. know if they can joke they about it. No, one of my classes. It's okay. Obviously, there's a time and place you don't say it. Yeah, of course. But you know, when they don't know if they should joke about it, but then when you make a joke about it, it's the easiest laugh that you're going to get, lads, because they split themselves because they know that maybe in their heads you shouldn't be joking about it and they don't expect it to come out of you, but then they just wet themselves. So if you're looking for an easy laugh, that's where you need to go. But look, (laughs) we've been chatting. We've had a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Before you go, just going to ask you a few quick fire questions because you have training. Excellent. First one is your proudest achievement to date. Proudest achievement to date. That's a big one as well. That's a very deep one to start (laughs) on a quick fire. I thought these were going to be like Chinese or... No. Uh, um, God, proudest achievement to date. Got it. These, these aren't quick fire. No, they're never, they're never quick fire. They're quick fire questions because I can read them. So I, I throw them out. It doesn't have to be a quick fire answer. Even toss it up between a couple if you want. Like it doesn't have to be one. Proudest achievement today. Okay, if there's a couple, the release of the book from a sporting context and get my hands on my, my first All Ireland medal at such a tender age. Yeah. Um, and then thirdly, I'd say, and it's probably not, it's a, probably very subjective and um, seeing the impact that, that I've had over the last number of years with whoever met people because I, I still don't know mm. there's X amount of people yeah and there's more to come as well more to come, as I said yeah. I text you after I finished the book I was like 
when's the sequel coming out like yeah, we need yeah, yeah, more yeah. like or you need to add to that one at least but yeah definitely favorite athlete of all time I'm just going to have to say because it's very topical, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. I thought you were going to say Ronaldo there, but yeah. Michael Jordan, yeah. Favourite obscure footballer or footballing moment? Now, that could be soccer, like, or it can be football. Obscure footballer and... Or an obscure footballing moment that people wouldn't necessarily think of as, like... So it's not, like... I don't know it's not going to be for you but for like Liverpool winning the Champions League or United winning the treble or anything like that it's something strange that very strange and it's it's probably memorable but not to an extent when Roy Carroll dropped the ball over the line <laughs> about this much I was at that game when he threw it behind him he caught it first I was at that game what was your man's line. name that hit volleyed it for halfway was it Mendes? Mendes, yeah, yeah. A unibrow, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Horrible looking thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was at that game, a halfway line. I was like, that's about 10 years out of <laughs> That was brilliant. That was good. Yeah, so go with that. Um, yeah, 100%. Good answer. Loving that <laughs> one. Uh, who's playing you in the movie? Who's playing me in the movie? Ooh. Who's playing you in the movie? Let me think. Oh, God. God off you a bit. Do you know who people say, well, when I was younger, they... The fella out of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. <laughs> Not with the beard, obviously. Now, Edmund, the fella that eats all the Turkish delight. That's what I used to look like when I was younger. Uh, I would say your your man out uh, is a, a fucking geez, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Oh, Frankenstein. Happy Gilmore, your man. Adam Sandler. No, no, not Adam Sandler. Shooter three. McGavin. That no, not Shooter McGavin. The guy with the nail. So the guy with the nail. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, because the length of his neck, the length of one. I believe this is built, that ball is Mister Gilmore's. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's good. Uh, that's not saying much about you, is it? Uh, what meal or food are you loving at the moment? Pizza, Caramico, hands down the best. I literally only have this conversation after golf. Yes, He's looking for a sponsorship. Very. No, go on. That's a lot of passion coming out Caramico, here. Caramico, hands down, the best pizza you'll ever get in your life. There's beats, a show. Beats pie, beats Vincenzo's, whatever. Like Caramico. Don't cut you. Like you might get something off them as well. Like yeah, don't don't be yeah, discounted yeah, yeah. them. First, <laughs> artists you've been listening to a lot recently. Uh, artists I've been listening to a lot lately, and it's a strange one because I feel like I'm going back to early two thousands. Eminem. Yeah. He's just unbelievable, though, it's, like, it's and he's just, and he's simultaneously like everybody knows he's great, but he's still underappreciated for how good. I I feel like in I, about twenty years, people will be looking back when I he's retired. I didn't appreciate him 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And now, as probably the last month or so, I'm listening to an awful lot of wordsmith, like unbelievable. Uh, books you've been reading lately? Books I've been reading. Um, what did I read there recently? Was how to win all Ireland semi final? <laughs> <laughs> I only messed up. Yeah, just walks out. <laughs> Tony 10. Tony 10. What's that? It's, jeez, oh, basically, uh, I literally only started it there the way, mate. It was like, you have to read this. And I've, and I've had it for I've had it for months. You gave it to me months ago, and I never got into it up until last week. And basically, I won't ruin the story too much, but basically a guy who bets away money that he stole from his job, essentially. And it's the... Is it fiction? It's a true story. It's a true story. Like, it's it's the maddest story. Like, it's a man from back arse of nowhere. And he robs... I I think, is he in the post office or something like that? And he basically bets away 
10 million, I think it is. Oh my God. And it's just basically kind of a whole story through that. So Tony 10, one of the favorite, one of the favorite books that I've read over the last year is The Gym Paradox. Yeah, I, you know what I did? I, I read it in, in an article. I started it today, literally just into the intro, like to be honest. But what did you make of that one? Brilliant. Really, really, really good. I, and I don't think it's too, because when I when I first got in it, I was fine with kind of going into the the depths of yeah. the kind of thinking mind, but it does break it down. You, you can't break it down all that much to very simple terms, but it's the most simplest of yeah, difficult terms. Simple, that makes sense. Yeah, you know? I get you, I get you. Uh, what's the biggest thing that you've learned in the last 12 months? Not to care. Yeah, good, <laughs> 100%. Uh, and last one, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Talk. Yeah, simple. Cheers, Shane, that was great.